Chapter Seven of France to Scandinavia by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. American Footsteps on French Battlefields. Today I shall show you some moving pictures of America's service and sacrifice in the war zones of France. I am in the front seat of a French automobile with the crank of the big camera beside me, writing the scenario while we travel along. As the finished reel is unwound, you will see the most interesting of the sights that we pass. Our speed will be rapid, for these French chauffeurs are yahoos who drive furiously. But we shall jump from place to place without regard to geography and stop where we please, increasing the text on the screen as human interest directs. Many feet of our film will give views of the country. Just now it is carpeted with alfalfa, wheat, oats, rye, crimson clover, and beets, and embroidered with red poppies as big as a teapot, and is of all the colors God made for the changing hues of his footstool. We shall find few blots on the landscape. Every field, road, and forest is dressed up to the nines, and the whole is like a new Paris gown. I love my own country, but I do not see how any Frenchman can help loving France. The patches of devastation accentuate the beauty of the recreation. On the chalky hillsides of the red zone, shell holes are still left, and near the battlefields, the trees are like a dead forest in Alaska where the fire has swept through. Some places are as barren as the Sahara. By the roadside are the trunks of trees cut down by the Germans, or it may have been by the Allies themselves for military reasons. This is in old Picardy, where the Somme River flows. This department is a plateau, in some places 500 feet high. It is a blanket of gravel and clay with chalk underneath. We can see the mine craters, which are the white of the chalky subsoil. In one chalk bank, along the roadside, above some bales of barbed wire, I counted six shells. As we ride on, we pass through village after village. Some are miserable, some prosperous, but the meanest is the beloved home of a peasant who lived there before the war wiped out the town, and he is bound to come back. The government offered new land and new houses where the people would be better off than before, but many of them refused to leave. Take, for instance, Beloy-en-Santerre, the village near where Alan Seeger was killed. You will remember his poems, among the best written during the war, and especially the one beginning, I have a rendezvous with death. It was at Beloy en Santerre that death met him. The town was reduced to a mud hole, not worth rebuilding. Instead, the government offered each of its families ten acres of land, with good barns and buildings in a more fertile region not far away. A number of the peasants would not accept, preferring to live in shacks and dugouts until they could save enough to put up new homes. Houses of brick and stone have gone up, and the fields of wheat and oats each of which contains 50 acres or more, are being worked on the cooperative plan. The town folk own a tractor and other farm machinery in common and are producing larger crops than before the war. The new village is much like the old one, except that it must conform to the building regulations laid down by the government. The French peasant does not want modern houses and abominates the big windows and the sanitation which our people advise. As a result, the government has had to insist that none of the towns adopted by Americans or others shall be rebuilt except in accordance with the official plans. 
I have talked with Miss Belle Skinner of Holyoke, Massachusetts, who spent something like a quarter of a million dollars in restoring the little town of Hatton Chatel in the department of the Meuse. It was there that the men digging the foundation discovered a great pot of coins which they gave to Miss Skinner. The coins were the savings of a French peasant of centuries ago. They were of all denominations, and some of them were coined in the Middle Ages. It was one of the numismatic finds of the century, and Miss Skinner has given some of the ancient pieces of money to the National Museum in Paris. And just here I wish to end the film with a tribute to Alan Seeger and to two other young Americans who best typify the spirit of our youth during the World War. Seeger was a child of four when I first met his father and mother in Mexico City, and was just 28 when, in a bayonet charge on the German trenches at Beloit-en-Santerre, he was killed. In the first weeks of the war, he enlisted in the French Foreign Legion, in which he fought to the day of his death. Reared in the lap of luxury, schooled in the United States and France, a graduate of Harvard, and closely associated with the leading intellectuals of Paris, before the war came, he had become known as a poet through his juvenilia. Of delicate health and without experience or knowledge of hardships, he jumped into the thick of active field service, slept in the trenches, did sentry duty, and fought again and again until the hour of his rendezvous with death. Some of his most wonderful poems were written on the very eve of the day on which he was killed, and his work will endure as one of the literary landmarks of the war. The royalties from his collected poems have already amounted to many thousands of dollars. Most of this sum Mr. and Mrs. Seeger have given to the Belle Lettre branch of the American Library in Paris, and the remainder they are donating to the libraries established for the French by the American Committee for the Devastated Regions. The French have so appreciated Alan Seeger that they have given 300,000 francs to put up as a monument to the Foreign Legion a statue of Seeger, executed by one of the leading sculptors of France. The Place des Etats-Unis, where President Wilson lived while at the peace conference, was chosen as the site of this monument. The spirit of Alan Seeger lives in his poem, I Have a Rendezvous with Death. I have a rendezvous with death at some disputed barricade. When spring comes back with rustling shade and apple blossoms fill the air, I have a rendezvous with death when spring brings back blue days and fair. God knows twere better to be deep, pillowed in silk and scented down, where love throbs out in blissful sleep, pulse nigh to pulse and breath to breath, where hushed awakenings are dear, but I've a rendezvous with death, at midnight in some flaming town, where spring trips north again this year, and I to my pledged word am true, I shall not fail that rendezvous. It is now one year since I motored from Paris out to a little American cemetery not far from Chateau Thierry, where, under a plain wooden cross, lie the remains of Joyce Kilmer, who wrote the most beautiful poem ever made to a tree. Many of you have, like me, committed it to memory. It reads, I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet-flowing breast, a tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray, a tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain 
who intimately lives with rain poems are made by fools like me but only god can make a tree the cemetery where kilmer lies is beautifully kept the grass is green over his grave but there is no tree within a quarter of a mile and the sun beats down upon the hundreds of small white crosses standing there sergeant kilmer's grave is surrounded by the crosses of little-known soldiers and it was only by accident that one of our party found it and brought us to the spot as i looked at that cross i thought of young kilmer's poem in which he painted the agony of our savior on calvary and thus made the less of his own sufferings as a soldier my shoulders ache beneath my pack lie easier cross upon his back i march with feet that burn and smart tread holy feet upon my heart men shout at me who may not speak they scourge thy back and smote thy cheek my rifle hand is stiff and numb from thy pierced palm red rivers come lord thou didst suffer more for me than all the hosts of land and sea so let me render back again this millionth of thy gift amen could any man leave a better monument than that on the same day i saw the grave of quentin roosevelt and bowed my head over the remains of the son of our greatest american since abraham lincoln young roosevelt lies on the side of a hill near where he fell with his fighting airplane there are forest trees nearby and a beautiful monument which the french keep decorated with flowers stands over his grave end of chapter seven